You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Barbara McGinnis and Chris Johnson, along with other members of the Tagus McGinnis Elder Care Law Team, talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Aging Starts Now. I'm Joshua Hunter, a public benefit specialist at Tagus McGinnis Elder Care Law. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about how divorce, death, or remarriage can impact veterans' benefits. Joining us for the conversation is partner and attorney, Chris Johnson. Welcome, Chris. Hey, thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Well, happy to have you. This is a a juicy topic with a lot to cover, so to get things started, the benefit that we deal with most most often in our office is aid and attendance. Can you share with our listeners more about the aid and attendance benefit and who qualifies? Yeah, absolutely. And we, we use that language here in the in the podcast because that's kind of how our uh, clientele refer to it as. So the first thing I always want to hit is the precise name for the most common benefit we use is the non-service connected pension or the survivor's pension, depending if you're in the veteran status or a surviving spouse of a veteran. And that aid and attendance is actually an additional layer on top of that benefit. And that's unusual uh, for people to hear because they're so used to kind of using that aid and attendance term. So that non-service connected pension or survivor's pension, what they're looking at is if you have limited income and limited assets and you have a, you were either married to a veteran or you are the veteran who typically served at least 90 days on active duty with at least one of those days during a wartime period. Note, they had to serve during a wartime period. They did not have to serve in the wartime area, but for a little unique block at the beginning of the Vietnam War from about 55 to 64, where boots on the ground were a necessity. And then if they had an honorable discharge, or and we say honorable because, again, that's what most people are looking for, but really the regulations say if they have a uh, discharge characterized as not dishonorable, which is very different. There's, there's all sorts of discharges in there. and I don't want to bore our audience with them, but there's a whole <laughs> range between dishonorable and honorable. And so just because you don't have an honorable, I like to remind people that uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that benefits are cut off. Sometimes it leaves it at the discretion of the VA. Sometimes you still have them eligible depending on what it says. But if you meet all those military requirements, then they look at, okay, are you eligible for the pension? And the rules of thumb are on the kind of your asset side, do you have under $150,000? And on the income side, do your unreimbursed medical expenses outpace your income. So if you have, you know, $3,000 a month in income between social security and a pension, but you're paying $4,000 a month for care at an assisted living facility, that is exactly what the non-service connected pension or the survivor's pension is designed to help out with to make sure that those individuals kind of in that middle area where the cost of care, which is going up and up every single year, we're already dealing with inflation and care is not cheap as it is. It makes sure that they are taken care of for those that qualify with the limited means. Hmm. So there's not really like an upward cap 
on your income. It's it's based on your care. That's right. It's that IVAP calculation, and IVAP stands for income for VA purposes. And so if you had $9,000 a month in income, which is a lot of income, but you were at a skilled nursing facility and had $10,000 a month in care costs, and and that's a real number. That $10,000, there are skilled nursing facilities that cost upwards of $10,000 a month, which is just kind of shattering to some people to hear. They just had no idea how expensive that is. But in that case, if you had under $150,000 of assets and met the military requirements, yes, you could turn on the benefits. Now, typically people don't have $9,000 in income. And so where the VA pension starts to fall off and where I always say it's kind of a puzzle piece, it's meant to fit in the middle. It's not you know, if you don't have any care costs, it's not really, you know, very effective. And if you have very high care costs, because let's say you have $3,000 in income, but have $9,000 in care expenses, well, you're upside down $6,000 a month. Well, the benefit does have a cap. So your income is dependent on kind of what your care expenses are, what we call your yeah. unreimbursed care uh, medical expenses. But the limit of what you can get is it generally maxes out in the high 2000s. And so what happens is your $3,000 now covers $5,055,5700 when you add your income and that, but that still doesn't get you close to paying that $9,000 bill. And that's when you're looking at more along the lines of a Medicaid benefit. I see. So you were saying that upper cap is in the 2000s. Is that different for like a veteran and their spouse or a married couple? It absolutely is. So if you are a veteran who's married or a veteran who has what we call one dependent uh, and you uh, meet the requirements for aid and attendance, so you meet the requirements for the non-service connected pension and that layer of aid and attendance, which is generally means you need assistance with at least two activities of daily living, you can be qualified for $2,727 a month. And that makes a big difference. That 2700 sure. can be the difference between, you know, hey, feeling financially secure at this assisted living facility and having a shortfall where money will run out. If you're a single veteran uh, or don't have any dependents, as we like to say, you're going to be at 2300 And then if you're a surviving spouse, uh, you're looking at $1,538. And so the surviving spouse, obviously, there's a, a significant precipitous drop there. And so it is, again, I tell people all the time, these, they, for the right people and the right veterans, the right surviving spouses, these can be very impactful, but they don't necessarily help everyone. And the other side of that coin is if you have five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars in the bank, the likelihood of you ever qualifying for VA benefits gets very, very low because of that $150,000 cap. And so oftentimes what we hear from our clients uh, is, well, I talked to someone about VA benefits because, Josh, you know, well, we screen everyone. Anyone who has any veteran status, we're going to talk to them. We're going to ask a whole bunch of questions. And I always hate hearing clients come in and say, well, I talked to someone. They said, I'm not. They just I don't get it. And oftentimes, remember your life isn't static. It's dynamic. It changes. And so maybe you didn't qualify then, but you qualify now because you've naturally spent down or someone just didn't dig hard enough. Or there was someone who held themselves out as a veterans benefits specialist when all they knew was non-service connected pension and they never bothered to ask you about service connected compensation. They never never bothered to determine if you were an atomic veteran. 
There's all sorts of other veterans benefits out there and you should get screened for all of them. And so what happens is people think, oh, I'm just, I was told no once. Well, being told no once doesn't mean that you're going to be no in the future. It means it needs to be analyzed. What you really need to do is understand why you weren't eligible and is there any possibility of that changing? And like, if you didn't serve in a wartime period, that's an item that's never going to change. Yeah, the odds are you're probably never going to be eligible. But if it was a financial thing, well, that can change greatly. That's a good point. And speaking of changes, what about, you know, divorce versus somebody being widowed? How can that yeah. affect the benefit? Oh, that's a huge difference. So <clears throat> if you get divorced, if you are the veteran, you are still going to be eligible for your benefits because you're the veteran, you're the individual who served. Now, you're like I said, if you're married, your benefit for a non-service connected with aid and attendance is 2700 and then it's 2300 if you're single. So you might take a little cut in what your benefits are, but you're still going to be eligible. But if you are the non-veteran spouse who got a divorce, the good rule of thumb is it severs your benefits period, full stop. And that catches people's attention. Now, the difference if you're widowed, well, that's where we talk about that survivor's pension. So if you were married to your veteran husband or a veteran spouse for at least a year, uh, then you are going to be able to get what's called that survivor's pension. Uh, and then we're, I think we're going to talk about it in a little bit. We can talk about dependency indemnity compensation in a little bit. Well, that's that's a good point. So what about dependency and indemnity compensation? Can, can you explain this benefit to our listeners? Yeah. And so this one, there, there are a lot of kind of subtle criteria and I don't, there's so much to cover and veterans benefits work is so nuanced. What I like to do is I like to really distill it down and keep it clean for the listeners. The yeah. really most common <clears throat> person we see for eligibility is this scenario. I was married to my veteran spouse for at least a year, and one of two things was happened. Either A, they passed away from an illness that they are service-connected from, or B, they were at 100% service-connected rating for at least 10 years. Those are the real two scenarios we see. There's a lot of sub ones in as far as uh, DIC. Uh, and then so there's a little nugget if you're separated but not divorced. And being separated and divorced are two different things. You had to not be separated or the separation had to be not your fault at the time of the separation. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you had a child with the veteran, uh, then that might make you eligible for DIC. So there are all these little nuggets. But in our world, what we see and what really is the most common is I've been married to that veteran for at least a year. They passed of a service-connected disability or they were 100% rated for at least 10 years. And that can turn on DIC, which is generally right in that same financial frame as the survivor's pension. It doesn't equal uh, exactly, but in the $1,500 a month range. Right. And the, another good thing about that benefit is it's not means tested. So it doesn't really matter what money you have. And that's an excellent point, Josh. And so you've heard me kind of tangentially touch on service connected and DIC. And then we have this non-service connected pension and survivor's pension. And so the difference between pension and compensation claims are very simple. When you hear pension, you think 
there has to be a financial eligibility when we talk about these VA benefits world. And so you have to be under that $150,000 cap. You have to have medical expenses in general terms that outpace what your income is. But with service-connected compensation or dependency indemnity compensation, that compensation says essentially it's the pottery barn rule. We broke it. We bought it, as uh, old General Colin Powell used to say. And so what we're talking about there is you could be Bill Gates, you could be Jeff Bezos, you could be Michael Jordan, and you rate that money because something happened to you in service that harmed you, that you were injured from, or somehow your health was negatively impacted. And they are simply compensating you for that issue, whether or not as a, like I said, as a surviving spouse or as the veteran themselves. And there is no means test. And that's another one where people will go and ask about, you know, the non-service connected pension, want to talk aid and attendance. And you know, they're not financially eligible, and then no one bothers to ask them, but okay, in your service, wherever you, were you ever hurt? Did you have any injuries? Are any of those injuries that you had causing you any problems now? And oftentimes we find there are. Most veterans suffer from tinnitus. That's a 10% right. right there. There's all sorts of things out there. Heaven forbid you were boots on the ground in Vietnam and have a presumptive exposure to Agent Orange. And there's a whole litany of diseases that are service that what we are call are presumptively connected, service connected. So you don't even have to prove the science behind it. It's the VA saying, listen, if you have this disease and served in Vietnam, we're going to give you compensation and you all you really have to do is fill out the form. I was, uh, I think, blessed enough to uh, help a veteran. They came in, all they wanted, they came into our office wanting a simple will, weren't even thinking about veterans benefits. As and I started talking to them, they had had a couple medical events and then I asked them if they were a veteran. They said yes. I asked if they had served in Vietnam. They said yes. And then I started looking at their health stuff and I said, man, Half the stuff you've had is on the service connected list. And they they almost didn't believe me. They're like, Chris, are, are you mean to tell me that something I did 40, 50 years ago, that I'm going to get received compensation for that yeah. now? I said, yes. I said, it is simply a matter of filling out this form. And they literally, two months later, were rated 100% service connected and should have been rated 100% service connected years before, but no one told them they didn't know. And how lucky were we that they walked in our office? Um, They just couldn't believe it. They had suffered from multiple cancers and other health maladies uh, that were directly related to their Agent Orange exposure. And so you always want to look and screen for that. For sure. And we've been talking a little bit about how situations change and how that can change your options. Can a surviving spouse continue to receive DIC if, if they were to remarry? They can, and this is always a tricky one. So I'm going to give you kind of the, the rule of thumb. If you were 57 when you got remarried and you remarried after December of 2003, or if you were 55 or over and remarried after January of 2001, then you can maintain those DIC benefits. And that throws people off a little bit. Um, They're just, they're kind of surprised. And I've had clients that have fallen on both sides of that fence. Uh, It's always tough because then the inevitable question is, well, why'd they draw the line there? And I, you know, don't, I don't know why Congress draws the lines where they draw most of the time. (laughs) You know, it's probably, it's drawn out of compromise and, 
you know, pushing back and forth. Whenever you have to draw a line on the benefits world, there's always going to be someone left just on the other side of it. And it's difficult, um, but you have to be just speak to your clients with candor and let them know. And that's one of those things, you know, if you got remarried and you were 48 or 49 or 50, those benefits are terminated unless they change the law. That's most likely not going to change. But yes, I've had surviving spouses who have asked me for the rules ahead of time and have put off nuptials to make sure that those benefits are preserved. And that's where that the six P's uh, for a lot, especially my military listeners out there, they might know it better as seven P's, but we're going to keep it six for today. Proper prior preparation prevents poor performance. And so these decisions, marriage is such a big decision just normally in life, but to have that decision as you get older, it affects government benefits. It affects tin care. It affects VA benefits. It affects, you know, what your responsibilities are towards that individual. And so if you're looking at doing that, especially a second marriage, go out and talk, find an expert and have them walk through what are the pros and cons? What can I do to protect myself? What can I do to protect my future spouse? What can I do to protect my children? Uh, and have those conversations uh, to make sure that you know what you're getting into. Because I have had clients, um, I've, you know, I can point to specific clients where they were like, man, had I known this, I might have made a different decision. And that's a tough thing to hear. Imagine being the spouse and wow. hearing those words. I'm like, oof, that's a, that's a hard thing to swallow. And so, you, you really need to do these things with your eyes open. Uh, so many of the things that we deal with in this world are interconnected. VA affects Medicaid. Medicaid affects VA. These things affect your estate planning. Marriage affects all of these things. And so it can just be very, very difficult um, in order to uh, make the right decision. And sometimes there is no right decision just the best decision with all the information that you have and having that information is critical. And that's exactly why you need a professional to help guide you through it. There's so much nuance and it's all layered. And Chris, I appreciate you helping me get through all of this material today and providing a lot for our listeners to think about. Oh, Josh, it. thank you for having me. I'm all, always happy, always happy. It's fun to be a guest on my own podcast. Of course. Well, that's it for today's episode. Takeus McGinnis Elder Care Law is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability of an elderly loved one. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com. Document downloads, the Tagus McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.